I want to welcome uh, any visitors that are here today, uh, those who are listening online. My name is Russell. I'm filling in for Tim today as he and Chrissy are in Germany uh, for 12, 13 days this weekend and next. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for another day of rest. Uh, I know that I personally needed it uh, after this week, and uh, I'm, I'm sure there are others that hear my voice that need it as well. Thank you for your foresight for giving us uh, a day of rest and one day of rest in seven. And thank you for this, uh, what this day represents in the bigger picture. Thank you for being a God of love and truth and honor and forgiveness. Ask uh, your Holy Spirit guide us today as we uh, look more closely at the uh, passage from Zechariah about the brand being plucked from the fire. Please guide uh, Tim and Christy in their travels in Germany, bring them safely home to us. Be with those of our group who are not with us this week and bring them safely back in the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we are studying lesson number nine, entitled A Brand Plucked from the Fire, in our quarterly Garments of Grace, clothing imagery in the Bible. Tim went over some of this last week. We're going to go over in a little more detail. I want to start in Sunday's lesson. This is referencing, we're basically looking at the first three chapters of Zechariah. The first two chapters provide some, um, some background. Um, and this is, this is taken from Zechariah 1, verses 12 through 15. This, this has given us an indication of why God was, quote, angry with Israel. Um, and what resulted from that. Then the angel of the Lord said, quote, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah, which you have been angry with these 70 years? So the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who talked to me. Then the angel who was speaking to me said, Proclaim this word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, and I am very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they went too far with the punishment. So why, why, was, Jerusalem, why was Israel in captivity? And where were they in captivity? captivity? Yeah. They, were, they were taken captive by Babylon. Any idea why? Because of idolatry and unfaithfulness. Okay. It, might there be a little bigger picture? Wasn't it wasn't the technical reason that they didn't give the land a Sabbath rest, and so uh, they were given the, the amount of years, seventy years, to make up for that? Okay, I think that was the technical reason for the length of time. Maybe there that that uh, that played a bearing as well. Even a little bigger picture. Didn't Hezekiah show all the riches and stuff that they had, and and as a result. Babylonians wanted that. Okay, that that also played a role. Yes. Injustice, mistreatment of many of the people, um, <laughs> where the prophet cries out, "Woe to the bloody city!" There was a lot of mistreatment of the poor, the widows, orphans, um, stealing of people's land. Okay, and that was a recurrent theme. I'm looking for an even bigger picture. Maybe it's because in in all of this, they they really didn't want to be friends with God. They, they okay. distanced themselves from Him. And so, what did so He do? What did the Lord said, do? Hey, you don't want me in your life. I'm not going to pester you. I'll step back and 
Well, Let you do what you want to do. He gave them what they wanted. They he gave them. Him. That's right. He, they misrepresented him to the heathen nations. And in fact, the, the heathen nations looked down on the Israelites uh, because, because of some of the practices that they were uh, employing and performing. So what did God do? Gave them up. He let them go. This is, uh, this is some great insight as to what the anger of the Lord is. God's wrath, the wrath of the Lamb, etc. All right, Zechariah 2, uh, 1 through 5. Then I looked before me, then I looked up, and there was before me, there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. And I asked, where are you going? And he answered me, to measure Jerusalem, to find out how wide and how long it is. While the angel who was speaking to me was leaving, another angel came to meet him and said unto him, Run, tell that young man, quote, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. Until studying for this lesson, I, I, was, not unaware, I was not aware that Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem would have a wall of fire around it. Am I the only one? Yeah, I, I was I was well aware that you know God's glory would provide a light, um, that there would be no night or day because the glory of God would be the light. But uh, I was not aware that um, the glory of God would would provide a wall of fire uh, around the uh, around the, the New Jerusalem. Interesting. I found it interesting. Would that be like the fire that didn't burn the bush? Well, perhaps. <laughs> Fire of truth. Fire of truth. Okay, Monday. We're going to look at some of the symbology and some of the imagery used. The accuser and the accused. Uh, someone look up Zechariah 3 and then just read verses 1 through 10, please. Whoever finds it first, shout it out. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand, right side, to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is, this not, is, this, is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I've taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him, while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern mine house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. Listen, O high priest Joshua, and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. See, the stone I have set in front of Joshua, there are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. In that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. Thank you. All right, we have some uh, interesting imagery here. Um, let's look at uh, 
Monday's lesson wants us to look at the accuser and the accused. Well, it's fairly clear um, to us uh, that who the accuser is. Who's the accuser? Satan. It is Satan. In fact, the, the word Satan comes from two Hebrew words that means accuser, and uh, apparently they sound just like Satan does in Hebrew. So that, that's why Satan is referred to as the accuser, uh, not only here but in Revelations as well, Satan, the accuser of our brethren. Why, why, does, why is Satan accusing Joshua? What is he accusing him of? Apparently sin, because that's what's wiped away, is sin. Okay, so he's accusing accusing Joshua of having a defective character, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Is Satan incorrect in his accusations? No. No, he's not. I mean, he's he's generally accurate. He's accusing us of, of... Actual defects of character. Why do we have these defects of character? Because of him. Because of him. That's correct. That's right. He he tempts us uh, into um, into following uh, his path and his government, and then turns around and and presents these uh, these defects, these acts of commission or omission, not only to. Uh, not only accuses us before God and the angels, but he uh, presents them to us as well as a, as a means of discouraging us. Is he really accusing us? Or is he accusing Christ? It, okay, by, by virtue of you know, the transitive property, uh, you know, Christ being our creator, he, he is accusing Christ. That's correct. That's, a, that's an excellent insight. Thank you. Um, and of course, uh, if you know Satan is the accuser, then obviously you know, Joshua, being our representative as uh, a high priest in this uh, allegory, then we are the accused. What um, what, so, what sort of recourse do we have if we are if we are being accused of something that you know, we're being accurately accused of something? We need an advocate. Okay. We do need an advocate. Yes. Well, it seems to me that he can accuse us of what we were, but God is pointing out to to him what we are. Because we have minds that are set right with God. We we have love and trust towards God now. We're not the same rebellious people that we were. Okay. That, that you're you're correct. Uh, we're going. That's getting a little a little ahead of things. I think that's in Wednesday's lesson. But you're 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 absolutely right. Uh, he, he's accusing he's accusing us and, poor, and and presenting an accurate um, accurate record of of historical facts. Any other thoughts on the accuser and the accused? Yes. Well, I mean, if you're guilty and rightfully so, then the only thing that you have is the potential for mercy, you know, because you're obviously guilty of what he's accused you of. Now it's a matter of saying, can I in myself do anything about it? Well, no. So you have to let the Holy Spirit work inside us to change us to be represent God's character in our lives. 
Excellent. Very well said. Thank you. Did everyone hear that? He said, if, if we're being accused, we, we, have, we have really no, if we're being accurately accused, we have no other option but to rely on mercy and to allow, and you'll notice he didn't say to allow God to throw his son under the bus and take our place. He said to allow God to uh, transform our characters. Uh, into Christ-like character and to reveal his his character and government to the rest of the world. Eve. I think it's important to note that Joshua's in the right place. He is standing before the angel of the Lord and he's not trying to hide. Um, so he's, he's in effect recognizing um, this is my problem, I can do nothing, and come to God. I, I think that's another great point. Did everyone hear that? She said Joshua is, based, is standing where he belongs. He's not, he's not trying to run or hide. He's, he's coming to the physician, the great physician, in order to, he's seeking healing. Yes. Well, in a way, when the accuser accuses us, if we go ahead and confess it, the devil's actually helping us help God do what he wants to do because it says in First John um, the first chapter talks about if we are confessed, then our sins will be forgiven. In other words, confession, all it is is acknowledging and accepting what God has already done. So by not fighting the accuser and acknowledging it, we're actually stepping up the process of allowing God to do what he wants to do. Okay. So I, I think that's, to look at it I think that's another, uh, another uh, excellent insight. Thank you. I don't see Joshua blaming anybody either. Her, you know, saying, no, that's not true. Oh, it's his fault. Oh, it's your fault. Oh, it's somebody else's fault. He took the, you know, he didn't, he accepted that he, that was probably true about him. He didn't really have any re response, you know, as far as trying to shove blame away from himself or his own behaviors and so on. Thank you. I want to read a couple of uh, references from Spirit of Prophecy. Um... This is from Christ's Object Lessons, starting at 160, page 166. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to take some highlights here. In the prophecy of Zechariah is brought to view Satan's accusing work. So apparently this is um, a prime, one of his primary jobs is to accuse the brethren, not only to themselves, but to, uh, to the heavenly courts as well. Uh, is brought to you Satan's accusing work and the work of Christ in resisting the adversary of his people. The prophet says, He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. This is not a brand plucked out of the fire. Uh, etc. Uh, further down in uh, Christ's Object Lessons, page 167, The work of Satan as an accuser began in heaven. This has been his work on earth ever since man's fall, and it will be his work in a special sense as we approach nearer to the close of this world's history. As he sees that his time is short, he will work with greater earnestness to deceive and destroy. He is angry when he sees a people on earth who, even in their weakness and sinfulness, have respect for the law of Jehovah. He is determined that they shall not obey God. He delights in their unworthiness and has devices prepared for every soul that all may be ensnared and separated from God. 
He seeks to accuse and condemn God and all who strive to carry out his purposes in this world in mercy and love and compassion and forgiveness. Thoughts? I think these passages confirm some of the comments that were just made in here. Any other insights? Yes. In other places, uh, Satan says, uh, all sin must be punished, urged Satan. That's right. Desire of Ages. Page 762, I think. All sin must be punished. Yes. He's accusing God of being unjust to forgive us and to let Satan go out in obliviousness. So okay, the he, honor of God is at stake right away. That's right. And why... <clears throat> what argument can... What's an effective, effective argument against... against that? That, that Satan is accusing God of being unjust and treating us, uh, uh, treating humans with forgiveness and treating Satan and his angels with uh, banishment. That's desire of ages, 762. Clearly Satan had however eons of time to fellowship with God and know his character fully. He knew God in a way that we do not have not had the ability to know him. And because of that, he chose his choice to separate himself from the, the giver of life in full knowledge of who God is. There's no more God could reveal to him. Excellent point, and that's absolutely correct. Um, Satan, Satan chose a pathway of sex, self-exaltation when he was within the very presence of God. He was the covering cherub. It was his primary job to reveal uh, the glory and the character of God to his fellow angels and, and other unfallen worlds. And he chose to exalt himself. He said, I will set myself above the, uh, above the mouth. I will place my throne you know, higher than the, than the heavens. So what, what, was, what was there remaining to uh, win Satan back to back to, to trust and, 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 a, and a belief in the truth about God's character. He already knew everything, and he rejected it. Whereas mankind, <laughs> Scripture doesn't give us any uh, timeline as to how long Adam and Eve were uh, in Eden before the fall. Um, but they were, they were deceived about the character of God. They believed the lie. And therefore, uh, there was still yet uh, a remedy to heal the to heal us from our sickness and to win us back to trust and acceptance of God. That, that's that's the argument that uh, that destroys uh, Satan's claim that God's not being just. Yes, um, we're told that um, Satan was given chances to repent and come back. If that had happened. Would Christ have had to die for, in order for him and his fellow fallen angels to come back? I've always been a little confused about that. Okay. Did everyone hear the question? She said, we're told that Satan was given numerous chances to uh, repent and renounce his rebellion. And that's, that's correct. Patriarchs and prophets, um, I think it's the first chapter. It's not the origin of evil. What's it called? Uh, Help me out. 
per chapter. Um, anyway, first chapter of, of uh, Patriarchs and Prophets, it, uh, it tells a, a bit about uh, how, the, how the, or, the origin of the rebellion. Uh, and it says that, 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 you know, God and Christ, you know, and, and the, the unfallen angels pleaded with Lucifer on numerous occasions to renounce the rebellion. And, uh, and many, t- many times he was, he was convicted that, that they were correct, but pride prevented him from, uh, from renouncing uh, his rebellion and, and, and rejoining. And, and it also says that if Satan had repented, he would have been, after he had been removed from uh, his uh, role as a covering cherub, that he would have been reinstated to his original role. So, Let's reason through this. If if Lucifer had repented from the rebellion and uh, retaken his role as covering cherub, would would creation have even been would creation of humanity even taken place? And if it had taken place, would there have been would there have been anyone to tempt humanity into rebellion? <laughs> Any thoughts? Let's see a couple of hands. Uh, Carla? Well, it, it's my understanding that the controversy, he started getting jealous because he wasn't taken in to, into consideration or into the council that God was having over the creation of our earth. Okay. And so we were already in the mind of God and it was already moving forward. So I think it would have still happened and I think the whole thing would have had to still go forward because now, even if he even if he did repent and turn around, he still raised the questions that were lingering on out there, and they would have to be answered somehow. Yes? I, I tend to agree, but as, as I'm learning more and more about God's character, and that God is God, a love, God of love, he's a relational God. And I think his original purpose for creating us was above and beyond as a demonstration of the great controversy, he designed us to have a relationship with him. And I, and I think it would have, I mean, and this is speculation, but I believe the God that I know and growing and falling in love with would have wanted me around anyway for other reasons. <laughs> yeah. I saw another hand. Yeah. <laughs> your, your first chapter of Page Action Prophets yeah. is why yeah. was sin permitted. Why was sin permitted, yes, thank you. Drew, you had a question or a comment? Well, I just... Just to follow up on what you said, if if Satan would have repented at that time, would it have been necessary for Jesus to actually come, you know, and die for us? Well, I think that's I mean getting way ahead of it because didn't he come to reveal his character and what his character is all about? Well, if Satan was the one that sinned, here he knew what God's character was and he repented in heaven, there would have been no need for for Jesus to ever come and die and reveal his character. Uh, I, I'm inclined to uh, agree with that, but uh, I I have I have no uh, I have no solid foundation on which to base that. The the um, the getting back to the comment about the councils in heaven, Lucifer being jealous about the councils in heaven. Uh, when, when we when we're dealing with an infinite God who knows the end from the beginning. Um, it seems reasonable to me that the councils in heaven about the creation were were needed because they knew rebellion was going to take place. 
Okay, Christ and and his Father and the Holy Spirit all knew that the rebellion would take place in heaven and that creation would be needed and rebellion would take place on earth and that the Son would have to come and reveal the character of God and provide a, and therefore, uh, through, you know, re, ra, through, um, Developing a perfect character would need to provide a healing remedy for the sinful nature that had, uh, had developed on earth. Um, so they, they saw down through the, the, um, the halls of time that all this would be needed. Therefore, they were in counsel to, um, to, to create man. If they had seen down the future that Lucifer would have ceased his rebellion, I'm not sure that the councils on creation would have even been needed. Now, getting back to your comment that that humanity may have been created anyway, just because God is relational and he would have he would have enjoyed more company. Uh, that that makes sense to me. I mean, he, who knows what other beings and other uh, other inhabitants he's created? Yes. Okay. I might not have been clear in my question. Oh, okay. Uh, have we gotten way off track? <laughs> I apologize. Well, maybe there wasn't a track that I established that I meant to. Um, no, I, I've never understood why. Well, I understand why there had to be a vicarious penalty paid for our sin. But I've never understood why there apparently, there's never been a mention of a penalty, a vicarious penalty to be paid for Satan's sin in his rebellion, um, it, seemed, it seems perfectly clear to me that if you say you got a law and then first time somebody turns around and wants to um, break the law, you say, oh, I forgive you. Well, about the time you do that very much, you don't have your law anymore. And so... Obviously, something had to take place in order for us to be forgiven, but for God's law to be vindicated, and when Christ came, that took care of it. Okay, fine. Wouldn't that also apply to Satan? Um, okay, let's, let's uh, examine. Let's just make some definitions here first. What law... What law existed in heaven that, that Satan broke? What was the law that Satan broke? It wasn't did, did he did he break? But there was the law there. Okay, what was that law? Law of love, yeah. yeah, and and of obedience to God, honoring Him as the Creator of them too. Okay, so so Satan broke the law of love, which is the foundation of God's government. Uh, there are numerous spirit of prophecy references um, supporting that. So there were, there, were, there, were no, there were no commandments in heaven that thou shalt not um, commit adultery, okay, or the, the angels didn't need a commandment to honor their father and mother. The angels didn't need uh, a commandment, thou shalt not steal. Um, well, they're going to start chipping away at the gold streets there and hoarding it in their homes. Um, so the God's law had to have been much bigger than that. So it, it, was, it was the law of selfless love that Satan 
that Satan broke. And not only that, he, he uh, suggested to the other angels and then to humanity that that law was impossible to be kept. So the, the vindication came about when, when Christ came to this earth. Well, let's back up a little bit. God created Adam and Eve uh, and gave them two godlike characteristics. He gave, us, he gave humanity dominion of the earth, which is something that made, excited Lucifer's jealousy. And he gave us the ability to create and recreate in our own image, the, the ability to bring forth new life. Which is which also excited Satan's jealousy. So uh, Satan realized, I'm guessing fairly quickly, that if if humanity went forth as uh, it was intended, um, bringing forth new life and sacrificing of themselves for the betterment of their offspring, and that continued generation after generation, the onlooking universe would would realize and say, hmm, you know, Satan's arguments. Uh, don't make sense, you know. They're false. This this is this is a revelation of God's government. So he he very quickly and very successfully um, attacked the creation. And it wasn't until Christ came on the earth uh, in a in the embodiment of a being that was fully human, you know, tempted in every way like we are, and fully divine. You know, he maintained his, his connection with, uh, his father was the Holy Spirit, and he maintained that connection with God. And then he de- defeated, he actually lived out God's law of love, uh, putting, putting uh, others' interests ahead of his own, uh, to the point where he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross and yield up his life. He said, no one can take my life, I give my life freely. So, To my knowledge, Satan has never demonstrated that law of love, and therefore he ha- therefore he has no argument of vindication, and and that's why at, at that at that minute when Christ yielded up his life, said it is finished, and there was silence in heaven when they they saw their commander um, breathe his last breath. At that instant, they realized that Satan's character had been fully revealed as a liar and a murderer from day one. And this is why you see in Revelations, um, Rejoice, you heavens, but woe to the earth, for for the, the dragon has come down to you in his wrath. The only reason the heavens are rejoicing is because at that minute, no one... And God's created universe, except humanity, would listen to Satan's arguments. Satan could not come and, and present his case to them, because they, they said, look, we've heard it before. You've already revealed your character on earth. We don't want any part of it. So he is now confined to this little, this third rock from the sun, this little planet here we call earth, and, and humanity is the only one that is giving him any... Uh, and he, he's giving him the time of day. Yes? Here, here's an interesting way to look at that. God was kind enough that he even let the devil go first to reveal his character. Then he's taking his turn now and saying, now I will reveal my character. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. David, you had a comment? Uh, the real problem was his doubting the character of God. 
that's what started. It wasn't that a law was broken in that respect. It was he doubted the character of God. It had to do with his freedom, allowing him to be free to, to rebel, and also the law of love. So if you, as you just mentioned, Satan's character was revealed at the cross, and so was God's. That's right. So fully revealed until that time. So there's always that doubt. So even if Satan come back, you've got all these other angels who have to deal with the same issue of their doubt at that point. So it it would seem to me that sooner or later God would have to reveal His character. So if it had to be the cross, if that's what it took to do it, that's what would have had to happen, no matter what had happened before that. Because sooner or later, God would have to reveal to the universe his full character of absolute love, giving us absolute freedom, and that he would absolutely forgive if he came back. Thank you. That's well said. Yeah. Not, not only did Satan reveal his character at the cross, but Christ revealed his character and that he was willing to lay down his life. God revealed his character through Christ in that Christ if said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. God himself would have come down and laid down his life. Um, and this this is why, uh, you know, there were apparently, according to the spirit of prophecy and insight, that there were many angels who, who wanted to volunteer for that mission. Say, you know, no, please send us instead. And and um, they couldn't happen. And why is that? I say, you know, an angel could have come down and, and, and been... You know, so close with the Father that he could have brought out a perfect character. What, what would that have said about God? The, the problem wasn't an angel's character, it was God's character. Yes. So God had That's right, and it would have said that well, God, God's willing to throw one of his created beings under the bus in order to save himself. And the angels themselves weren't clear until after the cross. That's correct. That, that could have possibly caused a question to God's character still, because he was holding back the best. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it would have called it would have called into question both Christ and uh, God's character. Johnny, what trips us up sometimes is that we get hung up on this. It was it's a legal thing at the mm-hmm. That's right. If we look at it from that viewpoint and we signify sin and say so that's got to be gotten rid of by somebody dying, what does that say about God that He requires death? To be able to forgive yep. changes everything when you look at it from that viewpoint. It what does. Okay, Romans what? I mean, yeah, um, I love Romans 6 through 8, which tell us about um, that he's provided, you know, righteousness by faith. Um, he's provided a way uh, for us to grow into Christ, and he tells how that's done. But, um, three, four, five, yeah, it, it really makes it sound to me, and I haven't been able to find a way around this, that um, there is both a legal aspect and a natural aspect Um and I do not get from that that God is vindictive, God is cruel, or anything like that. It's like you pick a leaf and throw it on the ground, the, the leaf will die because it has separated, now mm-hmm. it is separated from the plant. So I'm the fine, you are the branches. Um, 
But that uh, maybe it's natural, but which, which it is natural in the case of the leaf being separated. But Romans really does make pretty clear that there is a legal aspect, and it has nothing to do with vindictiveness. Well, there, there are there are numerous imageries uh, given in Scripture uh, for the uh, and numerous models for for you know, presenting the picture of salvation. And to some people, uh, a legal slant speaks to them, and they they are able to they are able to see a picture of a loving God through a legal. Uh, lens to some um, a model of of health care uh, or healing you know physician and patient uh, is is modeled and some people are able to see the picture of salvation better uh, through that lens and there are there are other lenses as well that that need to be um, that that are you know employed by scripture and I think it was written that way to talk to People, the people to whom the letter was written at that time, and and to those who have read it down through the um, through the years since. I I tend to prefer the healthcare lens, the physician and, and patient lens, primarily because I'm in healthcare. That makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, if I were an attorney, I might see things differently. Uh, I do have to reject outright the idea that God's written law was broken and therefore someone needed to pay a penalty in order for God's wrath and, and his, righteous, uh, his righteousness to be met. Okay? It, in any, if, if you want to view this thing from a legal perspective, what, what we first have to do, I think, is consider... Here in the United States, our, our code of laws is based on, what's our code of laws based on? It's based on our, our government, of which the Constitution is an integral part. Um, so any, any legal uh, proceedings have to follow, follow a pathway set forth by the government of the United States. Sharia law... Uh, follows uh, a path uh, of, a, of a theocracy, the, the, the government that's set forth by Islam. Okay? Judaic law followed, followed their government. So any law that's set forth on our earth, is, is, its foundation is that government. Okay? Well, the law of God, that's foundation is the government of God. Well, what is the government of God? It's the principle of love and mercy and forgiveness. Okay? Romans tells us quite clearly in chapter 1 what God's wrath is and God's anger. It's, it's letting people go. It's giving them up to their, to their, own, um, their own desires. Verses 18, 20, 22, it's quite clear what, uh, what God's wrath is. And he does it with so, sadness, not anger. Of course he's sad. You know, and um, was it Ezekiel? As I live, saith the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but I would, I would that he would turn to me and be healed. This, this is, this is the state that God finds himself in. I mean, all of us 
the righteous and the wicked. We're all his children, and he's, I would suggest that he feels a greater yearning and a greater sadness for those who reject him than those who accept him. The, those who those who ultimately turn away from him, it's a strange work. It's his his strange work to let them go, because it, it's his usual work to 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 transform them and to heal their characters. One more comment. That's mercy. That is mercy. That's right. And and not only is it mercy, but it's just. You know, Tim has given this. I I think this illustration is is a really really good one. If you um. How many children do you have? Four. Four. Okay. Let's say, for example, one of your when your when your children were young, you you came to them and said, "In the day that you drink from the little blue uh, the blue liquid under the sink, you will surely die." And one of your children is playing in the sink by herself, uh, and. She looks at the pretty blue liquid and thinks, hmm, that's really, that sparkles just the way the sun hits it. And the cat comes walking by and says, did mom say that in the day you drank of that liquid, you will die? I've drank of the liquid and now I can talk. Your mother is just trying to keep you from gaining knowledge. She knows that in the day you drink that liquid of, you will be more like her. So your child drinks that liquid and she develops leukemia. Now, as a parent, what is the what's the first thing that you're going to do for that child? Well, what's the what's the merciful thing to do for that child? What? To take him to the physician. What's the just thing to do for that child? To take him to a physician. The the two the two are the same. Mercy and justice and God's government are the same. They have to be. So, and then you find out that uh, one of your other children, or the you, one of your other children, has a, a bone marrow transplant that um, that will heal the child. So you offer this bone marrow transplant, and the child rejects it. So I, I don't want this. I, I'm perfectly happy with leukemia. And you continue offering this and offering this, and ultimately she says, stop, leave me alone. The only, the only loving thing that you can do as a parent is to let them go. He says that I am a loving God, and freedom is the foundation of the love, then he has to let them be free. How can he force any of his beings to stay in his company when they don't want to be there? One more comment. Yeah, sin, sin, I think, also, in the nature of it, is, is important in this discussion in that um, sin is lawlessness and separation. And by just the other laws that are, we can believe there's no gravity, we can step off the top of this building, and we'll find out very quickly that there is such a thing as gravity, whether we believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Same thing with sin. Sin, it cuts us off from the source of life. There's a natural consequence to sin, and that's death. That's right. Okay, Tuesday's lesson the angel of the Lord. There are some 50 references to um, the, quote, angel of the Lord in Scripture. This is in the New International Version. And all of them are found in the Old Testament. Any ideas why there are none in the New Testament? My thought is that 
In the New Testament, Jesus is not appearing as an angel anymore. Now he's the son of man. Okay. Uh, that was that was my thought, too. He's he's now standing at the right hand of God, or and, and he's functioning as our priest, and he's uh, humanity's representative, uh, one of humanity's representatives in heaven. So I think that's uh, I think that's exactly right. Why we know we don't see any any New Testament references to the quote angel of the Lord. Uh, just a couple of examples is Exodus two through fourteen. Excuse me, Exodus three two through fourteen. This is when the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses um, in the burning bush. There is Numbers twenty two thirty one. The Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing on the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. This is when Balaam was on his way to curse Israel, and the donkey uh, stopped him. That must have been entertaining. Uh, I've got I've to say that. That would have been funny to see. Why are you beating me? <laughs> Judges 6.22. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. First Kings 19.6-8. He, being Elijah, looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. And he ate and drank and then laid down again. Verse 7, Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. That must have been some meal to be able to travel for a month and a half without eating or drinking. At least we're not told he ate or drank. Uh... This is an interesting one, Isaiah thirty-seven, thirty-six. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death one hundred eighty-five thousand in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning; there were there were all the dead bodies. <laughs> Who's the angel of the Lord? Say that louder again. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. This is from Prophets and Kings. Then the angel, quote, who is Christ Himself, the Savior of sinners puts to silent the accuser of his people, declaring, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Long had Israel remained in the furnace of affliction. This gives us some insight as to the fire that the brand is being plucked out of, what the fire represents. Long had Israel remained in the furnace of affliction because of their sins, they had been well nigh consumed in the flame kindled by Satan and his agents for their destructions. But now, but God had now set his hand to bring them forth. What's the standard teaching on what the fire is that Joshua is being plucked from? What? The fire, yeah. Uh, my my original understanding was that the fire or the fires of hell, you know that this this is the fire that uh, Joshua is being saved from. Um, Ellen White sees things differently, and thankfully I do too now. So the fires of affliction that Satan and his agents had prepared for their destruction had kindled for their destruction. Any other thoughts? All right, Wednesday's lesson. <laughs> Change of clothing. All right, first of all, the filthy rags. 
Why, why do we see this imagery, uh, the imagery of the filthy rags? And is there, might there be some connection between the imagery of the filthy rags and um, the imagery we also see elsewhere in the Old Testament and in the New uh, of repentant sinners dressing in sackcloth and ashes? What do the filthy rags represent? Yes. Adam and Eve did fig leaves to cover their nakedness. Okay. That's that's right. Is it our character? Our our filthy character? Our sinful nature, our characters. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense to me. Are there any other thoughts? Let's see what Insight has to say about this. This is from Christ's Object Lessons, page 168. Every manifestation of God's power for his people rouses the enmity of Satan. Every time God works in their behalf, Satan, with his angels, works with renewed vigor to accomplish their ruin. He is jealous of all who make Christ their strength. His object is to instigate evil, and when he has succeeded, throw all the blame on the tempted ones. He points to their filthy garments, comma, their defective characters. He presents their weakness and folly, sins of ingratitude, and their unlikeness to Christ, which have dishonored their Redeemer. Here we see a reference of, you know, Satan not only accusing humanity, but accusing their, their creator and redeemer as well. All this he urges as an argument proving his right to work his will in their destruction. He endeavors to affright their souls with the thought that their case is hopeless, that the stain of their defilement can never be washed away. He hopes to destroy their faith, that they will yield fully to his temptations and turn from their allegiance to God. This uh, next one is from uh, Great Controversy, page 484. This is how Christ treats the uh, the historical um, accuracy of Satan's accusations. Christ does not excuse their sins, but shows their penitence and faith. Claiming claim, and claiming for them forgiveness, he lifts his wounded hands before the Father and Holy Angels, saying, "I know them by name. I have graven, graven them on my hands." And to the accuser of his people, he declares, The Lord rebuke thee. And this is, again, a quote from Zechariah 3. Christ will clothe his face, faithful ones with his own righteousness, that he may present them, present them to his Father, quote, a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing. The names stand enrolled in the book of life, and concerning them it is written, They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So this... this takes us here from the filthy rags to the change of raiment, the change of clothing. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Worthy. Why is it that we are walking uh, with the robe of Christ in this uh, in this imagery and Reve- this uh, reference in Revelation, Revelation three four? Because we finally learned to trust Him. It says here, "For we are worthy." Okay, what is it about the change of raiment? Uh, one more comment. Yeah, it seems in my mind, at least, that if Christ is a great physician, He heals us. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. This is—we um, have heard this statement. Uh, we've heard this text several times, uh, but it—not text, but this reference several times. Uh, but it is worth hearing again and again. Uh, first of all, from Zechariah 3, 4, the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. This is the uh, the defective character. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin. 
and will put fine garments on you. How does Christ take away our sin? This is from Christ's Object Lessons 311. The robe woven in the loom of heaven has in it not one thread of human devising. Christ in his humanity wrought out a perfect character, and this character he offers to impart to us. Uh, moving on down. When we submit ourselves to Christ, the heart is united with his heart, the will is merged with his will, and the mind becomes one with his mind, and the thoughts are brought into captivity with him. This is partaking of the divine nature. We live his life. This is what it means to be clothed in the garment of his righteousness. Then, as the Lord looks upon us, he sees not the fig leaf garment, not the nakedness and deformity of sin, but he sees his own robe of righteousness, which is perfect obedience to the law of Jehovah. Which law of Jehovah? The law of love and selflessness. Um, one more, one more reference, uh, and this is actually getting ahead into Thursday's lesson. This is from PR. Oh, prayer. God's forgiveness, and we've heard this one before too. God's forgiveness is not merely a judicial act by which He sets us free from condemnation. It is not only forgiveness for sin, but a reclaiming from sin. That's very important. Not forgiveness, not only forgiveness for sin, but a reclaiming, a ransoming from sin is the outflow of redeeming love that transforms the heart. Here again, transformation of the heart, mind and heart, circumcision of the heart. I'll replace the heart of stone with the heart of flesh. All these, uh, all these metaphors uh, are referring to this same thing. David had the true conception of forgiveness when he prayed, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Again, he says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Any of you wonder why David, back 4,000 years ago, or however long ago it was, why he used east and west uh, in his text and not north and south? Do, do, you think that, do you think that David, at that time, knew that there was a north pole and a south pole, and that you could go south to a certain point, and then you would start heading north again. So north and south have finite limits, based on our our knowledge of uh, geography, earth, earth geography, right now. Right, but you can get in a plane and fly west and never stop. You're always heading west around the globe. You just keep going. Same thing east. So, I think this is a great, uh, great little piece of the puzzle uh, for evidence of divinely inspired scripture for those who are skeptical. Um, I think this is exactly why he used east and west, and not north and south. So, the change of raiment represents a healed character. It represents a. Um, a character that has been given to us, who represents Christ's character that is freely given to us, is nothing we can merit on our, in and of ourselves. All we have to do is take the healing remedy that's provided. Yes, in the back. It's interesting because we know that sin is so much more than a rule that we break or an action. It's trusting ourselves, not trusting God, and that 
the only way as as humans that we can trust God and not trust ourselves is we know there's no way to not trust yourself. There's no way for you to not think on your own behalf, for you to just, you know, go and do what's best for you. There's no way to do that unless God has changed you. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's that's that that robe of righteousness because you know that can't come from us. Thank you. Well said. One more comment and we'll close. It's incredibly um, powerful to know that the only piece of clothing that's actually mentioned is the turban. And, you know, the healing starts in the mind and that's that's where the character is formed, that's where the character is transformed and that's, that's where God's most powerful and effective work is done. Uh, I think that's a great point. And I... If you, if you read carefully the text, uh, Zachariah speaking in the first person, he said, and I said, put a clean turban on him. Um, I, I have no idea. I, I found that a little, um, I found that a lot interesting that the Zachariah was the one that suggested to put a clean turban on him, um, and not the angel of the Lord, and not, you know, Joshua, and not Satan. So I, I don't have any insight for that. So as food for thought. And study. Uh, I've included a lot more references um, in the notes for those of you who want them. Dean? You were commenting about the fact that God calls us worthy. Mm-hmm. And why is that? And the text itself says it, that our sinful nature is removed right. before the holy nature is put on. It's not the holy nature is covering around our sinful nature, but our sinful nature is removed. God's character is replaced. God's character is worthy. Thus, we are worthy. Right. I and mean, when you go to a physician, you, you want to be pronounced healed. You know, examine me, heal me. You, you don't want him to uh, replace your medical records with someone else's. You want, you want your own to be healed. Let's uh, let's close the prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the illustration that you've given us of a brand being plucked from the fire, the fire that um, Satan and his uh, minions have set for our affliction. And we thank you for the unspeakable and unmatched love of of your government and of giving up your son to uh, to die in order that we can have eternal life. I ask that you continue to bless our class, both corporately and individually, and bring us safely back in the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I want to thank you all for your input.